Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Follow Me, we will be looking at what it means to be a disciple. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. So a couple of weeks ago I had a project. The project was to construct a uh, small shed. It's one of those sheds you buy at, I think we bought it at Home Depot. It was in a box. And it said in the box that this shed will be put together in two hours. <laughs> two hours. So I, uh, you know, I did everything you're supposed to do. I took it apart and I got all the pieces out. I was like, this is impressive. They've printed the numbers on the pieces. And I'm like, my wife was like, are they going to stand that? And so we got a rag and you could rub the number off. So it wiped off on a wet rag, the numbers for the pieces. But the numbers were there because you f- put the numbers, following the instructions in the book, put the numbers together and construct the shed. Well, the instructions were awful. I mean, I, I couldn't tell. There was no writing pretty much. I mean, no explanation. And it was pictures and step one, step two and all that. But it, it was not fun. So I did the first part of the shed and I put together the frame and then I had to stop because I had to move on to another commitment. They said two hours, but it didn't take two hours. So I'm like, okay, I'll leave the pieces out. I got all the, the, the nuts and bolts in a bag to do the second part of the construction. I'll come back to it. Well, uh, it rained the next day. And uh, yes. <laughs> so I went back to it, and all the numbers had washed off on the pieces. I'm like, oh, well. I'm a smart guy, I can figure this out, and so I put this shit together, two hours supposedly, and uh, it took me all day the next Saturday to construct this thing, and it was constant doing, have you ever done this? You put it together and you look at it, nah. (laughs) And deconstruction, and then, uh, (laughs) tell me who hasn't done this before, Um, holes are supposed to line up with holes to screw it in, I'm like, forget that, I'm drilling my own holes. (laughs) But throughout this entire construction, I was doing what we all do when we have situations like that. I I kept checking the picture on the box, right? That's what you do. When the instructions aren't necessarily very clear, what you do is you look at the picture on the box and you go, is this exactly how it should be? And you look at how things fit and you're like, okay, the picture gives me what I need to know because the picture captures what the manufacturer, the designer had in mind regarding the construction of this shed. You got to go back to the instruction manual. You got to look at the picture that's there in order to know whether or not you're putting it together correctly. Now, some of you are like, oh, I know where he's going. I know where he's going. And so we have this thing called the Bible. And within the Bible, we have given to us a picture. And there's a lot of pictures given to us as to what God wants to know regarding life. And in our particular uh, turn in this series, we are looking at what it means to be part of the family of God, what it means to be a follower in the context of the church. And what we find in the New Testament, that's the second part of our Bibles, 
And in particularly, the second part that comes right off to the first part. So you got the first part is what's called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their purpose is simply to convince those who are receiving their message, receiving their story, to convince them to believe in Jesus, to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. It's the, their, rep, their story saying, hey, this is what we saw, this is what we heard regarding Jesus, and if you believe this... You can have life because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He did what he did. He said what he said. He died on the cross. He was buried. He brought back to life. And he had a promise to those who were his followers to then do what? Be a family, a community that takes the message to the world. And so what you find out in the Bible is that you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. But after that, you have the next part of the New Testament, and contained in those teachings, you have God's picture of what it means to follow God as a Christian in this world, and what you discover is that God's plan for everyone who comes to faith in Jesus, God's plan is for them to be in a spiritual family. That spiritual family is the church, where they're nurtured and grown and transformed as they do life together. Now, we get this. What do we do? With, we have children, right? Our children, what's the, what's the plan? What's the, 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 the plan for their nurturing and growth? Well, they're born into a family. And typically, it's mom and dad and other mature family members who come around, and what do they do? They, they nurture, they care for, they equip, they instruct, they resource their children to rear, be reared up to grow and to become what? Mature adults who then leave and break your heart. No, then leave. <laughs> I'm not an empty nester. Uh, then leave to do what? To do that all over again. That's the pattern that God has created in the development of mature, functioning human beings. That's why the family is so important because the family is God's design for that process. Well, in the same way, God's design... For the development of your faith, for the development of Christ in you, for you to become the mature believer that God has in plan for you through faith in Jesus. God's plan is to place you into a family where the Holy Spirit and other mature believers invest in you, equip you, teach you, nurture you, resource you, so that you might grow up to be a mature believer and bring in others whom you can then join in the process the same way, and so on and so forth. That's the plan. The plan is for you to follow Christ in a community as you follow others who are following Christ who show you the way. Let me, I'm going to share with you two examples of this. The first one comes from uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Book of Acts tells us that the Apostle Paul started a church in this town called Corinth. Corinth was a port city and a party city. I want you to think Las Vegas by the ocean. Some of you are like, that would be fantastic. Las Vegas by the ocean. Corinth was known for its pagan temples and its crazy lifestyle. And the Bible says that Paul, the apostle, who is the missionary to the world at that time in the New Testament, started a church, and it was a hard work. 
It was a hard work. He had a hard time making inroads into that town and bringing people to Christ. And he stays in Corinth, we're told, longer than he typically does in his missionary journeys. He stays there and he establishes an alive and vibrant church. God blessed the work there, and a church was born through hard labor, hard work, and a church is born and it begins to grow. And it's a church that's gifted, and it's a church that's vibrant, and it's a church that's alive, and a church that's successful in many ways, but it's also a church that has an immense amount of problems. The folks that were coming into the church had a ton of baggage, baggage that they had a hard time letting go, baggage that they needed to be corrected on by Paul, hence why Paul writes his letter, 1 and 2 Corinthians. One issue that they were dealing with was the question about whether or not Christians should eat meat offered to idols. You're like, what? Let me explain. A city that has a lot of pagan temples that do a lot of sacrifices. That means a lot of cows and goats and sheep being sacrificed, being butchered in the worship of a pagan god. Where does that meat go? Well, the meat goes to the local butchers. Because the temple priests and all there, they can't consume all of it. And plus, they see an opportunity to make extra money for their deity and their religion. So they sell that to the butchers in the marketplace. And so when you went to the marketplace to buy meat in Corinth, typically, more than likely, the meat that you're buying was probably offered up as a sacrifice in the worship of a pagan god. And so the question the church is facing, should we eat that meat knowing that it's being sacrificed to a pagan god, knowing that it's being engaged in worship that goes contrary to our following Jesus? Paul's answer to the question is yes and no. Maybe. You're like, what? Well, he says, well, first of all, technically we know that meat is just meat. Technically, we know that food is just food, and we're free to eat food. We're not limited by the dietary restrictions of the Jews and Judaism. We can eat, and that's a good thing because God provides us. So we can say, in honesty, eating this meat, we can offer God praise for it because it's just meat. But on the other hand, this meat is not just meat, particularly to individuals in your fellowship who are coming out of this religion and have a very much personal, uh, emotional connection to what was going on there and really feel like part of their fleeing from their old ways is not partaking in anything that involved that kind of worship and eating meat would be a big problem for them because they know it's been offered up to a pagan god. And so Paul says, hey, technically you can eat the meat, but perhaps you should consider your brothers and sisters that would have a problem eating that meat. It would be a violation of their conscience. And instead of saying, it's my right, I'll eat a steak when I want to eat a steak, instead say, no, I will choose not to do that. I will choose not to do that for the sake of honoring the convictions, the conscience of my brother or sister. Live by the principle of love is what Paul will say. 
And then he says something interesting, which is what I want us all to take, take note of. There in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he's discussing this issue in chapter 10, and he gets to verse 11, and he, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, and he says this. He says, be imitators of me, just, also, just as I also am of Christ. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. What's he saying? He's saying... Hey, if you want to see this in action, if you want to see this principle lived out, watch how I do it. As I follow Christ and as I strive to live by love, exemplifying what it means to give up my freedoms and my rights in order to bless my brother and sister so that I might maintain fellowship with them, if you want to see how that works, watch me. Watch how I do it. Which tells me, okay, that's how it's supposed to work in the church. In the church, God's plan A is for me, an immature believer, to be able to see a mature believer live out life so that I might be able to imitate him or her as they follow Christ. God's plan A for your spiritual growth is for you to be in a family of believers where you look to others as they look to Christ. All right, second example. Paul's letter to the Philippians. By the way, this example of eating meat, we can, we can apply it to a modern-day equivalent, right? Alcohol. Is it a sin to drink beer? No, it's not. But sometimes we choose not to drink a beer as Christians because we recognize there are brothers and sisters who may be around us, who may be watching us, A, who may have came out of drug addiction or alcoholism, and seeing us do that would be a serious problem for them as a model. Or they come out of family situations where they were abused and the cause of that abuse was alcoholism. Or they came out of traditions where they were taught that drinking alcohol is a sin and, and to honor them then you may not drink the beer. Got it? Philippians. Paul's writing Philippians Church in Philippi, another Greek church. This time he's writing as a thank you. He's like telling them, hey, thank you for your support. Paul's in prison at the time, and Paul writes to them to give them an update on what's going on, but he also wants to thank them for their financial support and prayer support, emotional support, sending help during his time in prison. At this time, he also takes the opportunity to give instruction on certain things. In his instruction, he warns them about false teachers, individuals who are coming in to the church, who are teaching things that are contrary to the truth of the gospel, contrary to the things that Paul himself taught them. These guys are coming in and they're saying, hey, uh, if you are a non-Jew, you better first become a Jew by ritual and practice, getting into all the things that the Judaism requires before you can qualify even to be called a Christ follower. And Paul's like, no, these guys are, are off. They're wrong. They're, 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 they're wolves within sheep's clothing. They're not interested in, in promoting the truth of the gospel. They're interested in their own agendas and taking over the church for their own ends. And he says to the church, be aware of these people. Be on the lookout for these people. Do do not start following these people. And then he says this, Philippians 3.17, join together in following my example. There it is again. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 
Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Live as what? Live in the model of following God according to what is true. Bible says sound doctrine. Paul says, follow my example as I follow Jesus. Look to how I live in this matter and follow the way I live. And you'll be in line in following Christ. And in the same way as you look to follow our example, we recognize then there's also a pattern that begins to form that as I'm following someone, someone then will begin to stop following me. And hence we see the picture of what God has instituted for the church and how the church is to be operated. Now, the question for me is this. If this is God's plan A for me to grow in maturity in Jesus, then I have to ask myself as a Jesus follower, personally, I have to ask myself, well, do I have individuals in my life that I can look to who models for me what it means to follow Christ in this world? Do I have a picture of what it means to be a man of God in this world? Do I have a model for someone to look to, to show me what it means to be a husband in Christ, to be a father, to be a worker in the work environment of this world? Do I have individuals in my life to whom I can say, I follow them as they follow Jesus? And I'm going to just be open with you right now. The answer to that question is yes and no. But unfortunately, it's more no than yes. Yes, I have been blessed with individuals in my life who have modeled for me what it means to follow Jesus in this world. Individuals, as Paul says, whom I can keep my eyes upon as they follow Jesus in this world, I begin to learn what it means to follow, to follow him too by watching them do it. Yes, there are individuals in my life, but unfortunately... I feel like they're too and few and far between. And, and the reason for this, the reason for this, well, I can get all upset and say, well, the reasons for it is because the church has failed me, the, the elders have failed me, the, the staff has failed me, the, the people in our church are too cliquish, they've failed me. The culture that we have that says Christianity is all about coming, sitting your butt in a chair, listening to someone give you information that you are then supposed to then apply to your life, that system is not meant to, is not biblical in one way, and, and it's failed me. And I can say all of that, and, and maybe there's a, a truth to that critique, but the reality is, is that I've come to recognize the problem is that I don't have individuals in my life is because I am not open to it. The problem is, is that I have not heeded the word of the Lord and said, this is how God's plan is for my spiritual development. Therefore, I need to be open to look for individuals to whom I can connect with, to whom I need to put myself out there with and ask for them to partner, to, to model, to, to be there as someone that I can look to to follow as they follow Christ. The problem primarily is me. Because I'm arrogant or because I'm lazy or because I'm too busy or simply primarily because sometimes I'm just not aware of it and I didn't know. And God has really been pouring into me this truth over the last few years that you need to do something about this, Didi, and not blame everybody and not whine about the failings. Instead, look to follow me to bring these connections, these people that I've assigned to you 
to model for you what it means to follow Christ in this world. And I'd just like to share with you a few things uh, that I've learned along in this journey. Uh, personal things, things that, that are perhaps uh, just encouragements, words of advice, counsel. Very first thing is, I want to tell you, it always begins by recognizing a need and asking a prayer of God. Lord, bring to me, lead me be aware of individuals whom you've assigned who can act as models, being open. I prayed that prayer a few years ago, a number of years ago, maybe seven, eight years ago. I recognized that I, I needed help. I had some close friends, but I needed more, particularly when it came to my role as a leader in the church, my role as a, as a father. Uh, I, I began a journey. I went into counseling, and I asked the question, what is it about me that limits me from being able to do what I'm called to do? And I had a wise counselor, a biblical counselor, be able to get into a conversation between uh, the counselor and myself and the Holy Spirit that began this journey. At that time, then I was invited to be part of a men's group, a group of guys, fellow ministers. We met at the Cincinnati Christian uh, University, and we'd been meeting for seven to eight years, and we're simply there on a regular basis connecting with one another. And that began this openness, this, this awareness for me to begin to realize that I needed these kind of inputs in my life. Now, the journey continues because out of that group came an individual that said, hey, I'm part of this real neat thing called covenant groups, and he explained the dynamics of all that it was, full guys that meet twice a year in person and once a month on the phone, uh, and through a series of, of working together, we, we hold each other close and we pour into each other's lives, and we, we invest in one another. Four different guys from different parts of the country that are able to, to speak into my life, that I'm able to listen to and able to speak into so that we might see what's happening here as described in the church. I can look to them as they follow Christ, and I can follow Christ in that manner. And I resisted that. Confession, I didn't want to do that. And two very important people pressed it into me. One, the Holy Spirit was like really pushing it. You need to do this. The second one was my wife. And uh, she said, you, you need to do that. And so the elders graciously provided that opportunity and said, go, do it. One of the things that we need to recognize is that what's needed for this to happen are three things, and, and I've, I've taught this with my team now, but I think it's important that we understand this. In order for us to have what is described in the Scripture, we need these three elements. We need presence. Presence means I'm engaged. It also means that I'm making an intentional decision to be open to these relationships. It means I'm there, I'm focused. You cannot have a friendship, you cannot have some kind of relationship with an individual that breathes life into that relationship without being present. If you're distracted or disengaged, it's not going to happen. We all know this. How many of us sit around the table and we say we're chatting and everyone's doing this? Well, we may be together, but we're not present. Presence. That's how God works in our life, right? The Bible says God is with us. God is present. The question is, are we present? Are we paying attention? Are we giving ourselves to that conversation, to that relationship? Presence. Find someone whom you will be present with. 
Second P, proximity. Proximity means be close. We can't be connected to people we're not close to. It just doesn't work geographically. You can say, I'm very close to someone, and they say, where do they live? Well, they live in Timbuktu. Well, you're really not that close, all right? You're really not because proximity, being close, doing life together. You can't look to someone to live life unless you're close to them, and you can see them up, cl- up close and personal in the way they live and the way they operate. It's important that we have proximity. Presence, pay attention. Proximity is someone who's close. And the final P is that we have patience. Patience. This takes time. This takes time. I think the, the sad thing of our generation is we think we can get quickly the depth that we want in a short period of time. Push a button, swipe an app, bling, bling, it's there. No. It takes time. 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 Investment. It's built on small, not big. Done on a repetitive manner. In order to have these kind of relationships in which we're able to minister to one another, presence, proximity, patience. If you lack one of those things, it's not going to work. But that's God's plan A for your spiritual development. I also encourage you to pray. Pray, 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 pray for individuals to come into your life that will help you out. Pray for discernment. Don't let anyone in. Don't let anyone close to your heart. My mom, and some of you heard me say this, and this doesn't work, but anyway, my mom used to say what? Love everybody, trust a few, paddle your own canoe. Love everybody, be open to all, but trust a few. Have a few close people whom you have invest in your life. Be judicious in that. Be judicious. Be wise. Paul says, don't let anybody who doesn't walk following Christ into your life. Instead, look at us who follow sound doctrine, who live and bear fruit of Christ in our lives. Look at them and give yourself to them. A friend of mine, Alan Algram, refers to a book by a man named Alan Schenk. Alan Schenk talks about the concept of four chairs. Four chairs. He says, everyone needs to have people who sit at four chairs in their life. And he says, if you think of your heart and the most, your person, the intimate person as the table, you need four chairs of people sitting at these chairs whom you can invite and need to invite to sit at your table at the times you need them. On the first chair, he says, this is the chair of wealth. This is the chair of wealth. We all need individuals that resource us financially, right? People help us out. People give us the uh, log cabin in Gatlinburg to hang out and, and be resourced. People that make us laugh. People that fill us up. We all need to invite Christ followers that sit at the chair of wealth, one or two or three of them. He said, you also need people who sit at the chair of wisdom. These are people that deepen you. Individuals that challenge you to to go deeper. People that walk deeply with the Lord whom you can look to and say, help me out with this. And you know you're getting a spiritual perspective that deepens who you are as a person and deepens your relationship with God. You need individuals who sit at your chair of wisdom. You need people that sit at the chair of work. 
By work, I'm referring to people that sharpen you, people that help you develop your skills. Invite people in your life. Hang around people that you see that are living in a manner that's successful that you can emulate. And of course, as a follower of Christ, these people need to be grounded in Jesus because that's what we're called to do. Full chair. It's kind of weird, but it is what it is. It's a chair of woo. Woo. <laughs> woo. These are people that connect you. They connect you with others. They connect you with God. But we all know people that we go to to find out if we, if anyone, like, who do you go to when you say, I'm looking for a job? You know that one person, I need to go so-and-so because so-and-so is connected and knows everybody, right? It's important that we go about and spend some time Presence, proximity, and patience. It's important that we spend some time investing and asking the Lord to provide people to sit at these chairs. Why? Because it's God's plan A for your spiritual development to have individuals in your life who are Christ followers that sit at your table, that you invite to your table. And you invite them with wisdom and discernment, people who give you wisdom, people who connect you, people who sharpen you, people who resource you. One of the things that uh, I know I need to do is, is work on this, and I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Take note of those people who tell you, hey, I'm praying for you. How many of you have people that tell you that? How many of you heard that? Now, what do you normally do? You say, thanks. And then what? You forget about them. I do. In this process, as we're thinking about people that God has assigned to, to, to invest in us, Take note of people that say, I'm praying for you. Make a note of them and recognize that what would be helpful is to give them some script regarding prayer for your life. So little old lady Jane that's, that's been around forever, knows, has known you since you were two, and, and says, I, I'm praying for you. Reach back around and go, hey, little old lady Jane, neighbor lady Jane, he's like my grandma, aunt, and everything else. By the way... Can I give you an update on my life and give you some script for you to pray on? Because I know you've been praying for me since I was two years old. And, and here's what's going on. Could you, could you pray? I'm, I'm dealing with this, and I'm, I'm facing that, and I need wisdom on, on this. Be open to that. Take note of that. God has called for us to be a community of faith whereby we just don't attend stuff together, but instead... We're mindful of the Spirit's prompting to the assignments that God has placed on others' lives to pour into us and then for us to pour into others. Brian McGee reminded me of this analogy that I think I'm going to end on. He said, you know, there are two, two big bodies of water on the Jordan River. There's the Lake Sea of Galilee, and then it dumps down into the Dead Sea. And the difference between the Sea of Galilee, which is rich and vibrant, full of fish and green and full of life, and the Dead Sea, which is what it is, dead, just a good place to sit around and float in, it's dead. The difference is, is the Sea of Galilee takes and it gives. The Dead Sea does what? It only takes and it doesn't give. 
And God has called you to be part of a faith community where you are blessed, but also you are a blessing. And in this conversation, as we talk about these scriptures, as we meditate on what these scriptures mean in our life and apply them as we follow Christ, be imitators of me, Paul says, just as I also am of Christ. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have as a, us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. As we think about the application of that, think about the need to be people who follow, be open to the leadership of others, be judicious in selecting individuals, inviting them to sit around the table from the four chairs, but also be mindful of the fact that others are watching you. If you're a husband or wife, your wife and your husband, you're watching each other. If you're a grandparent, your grandchildren, your adult children are watching you. If you are a parent, your children are watching you. In the church family, there are individuals, friends that you are, being ma- are making that, that are a little behind in this faith journey who are watching you and be open to the reality that you too are responsible to be a person that is invited to sit at someone else's chair so that you might continue to work with the Holy Spirit in the family of God. Being an imitator of Christ so that others who see you can imitate Christ as well. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you so much for, for your word and I just thank you for this time that we were able to share. I, I ask that you would just uh, make this sit with us. The reality is, is that A, we're so individualistic, and B, we're so consumer-minded when it comes to Jesus and church sometimes that we do our thing and we get our stuff and then we head on out with our toys to do it in the way we want to do it. And that's not your design. As we look into the church, the picture of the church is not that. And I pray that you would help us uh, recognize that and forgive us of our disobedience and forgive us of our sin in that manner and be open to the reality that we need to take it upon uh, take upon the mission of being part of this family to, to be open to people in our lives that you bring to model Christ for us and to recognize we need to be open to others to whom we can model Christ to us. Lord, I, I pray that you would just help us not to listen to the enemy who says you are not educated enough, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you are screw up, blah, 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 who would follow you. Uh, to put that aside, the reality is, is that what we can give is what we have, and you call us to be faithful on that, and when we do that, it's the church working as it meant to be. Lord, as we as a church are embarked on an initiative, this week we're encouraging people to go through this practice of walking through the, the prayer garden. I'm looking forward to being with my small group tomorrow, tomorrow night at 6. And as we walk through the experience, it's not just uh, experiencing you in that moment, but more importantly, experiencing you with my friends and my small group. And as we share in fellowship together afterwards in our meal, Uh, what we see happening is what what you intended the church to be. A place where we follow Christ and we look to follow each other as we follow Christ and to encourage one another in that manner. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.